seated. Thank you for that prayer. <clears throat> so, this morning, I normally sing a song to kind of, it's been a, quite a while since I preached, and it seems like when I preach, I get all nervous, and, and uh, I usually sing a song to just get everything realigned and back straight again and calm the nerves. But this morning, I decided to choose something different, and uh, I'm just going to share a little bit with you. Um, I guess Wednesday night, it was uh, given as a prayer request for my leg. I got these varicose veins I've had for many, many years, and uh, I never really thought much of it, just part of the way God built me. And so, um, I last Saturday a week ago, I my one leg, my right leg, it really hurt. I'm like, what the world did I do to that thing? And uh, of course, when I I felt it, I felt this big old lump there, and I'm like, boy, we got problems. And uh, I looked at it, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, we do got problems. And this thing was about this big around, just black and blue, looked like somebody squirted spray paint on it. And uh, I didn't know what to do with it. I'm just like, oh well, just be like everything else, it'll heal up and go away. Well, last Sunday, I was, um, we were invited away to uh, my brother-in-law's place, and my mother-in-law was there, and uh, so I, uh, I said, man, I said, I got this varicose veins, I didn't know how to say it, so I used some other word, and she like, what are you talking about? She said, you mean varicose? I said, yes, varicose veins. So I pulled up my pant leg, it's right below my knee, I pulled up my pant leg and showed her. And <laughs> she took a deep breath and had quite the exclamation mark. And I'm like, well, maybe this is more serious than what I thought. And so I said, well, I still don't want to go to a doctor. It's not that I, so we're going to get one thing straight right now. I am not anti-physician and I am not anti-doctor, but I just don't like to go see the doctor. And so they uh, wondered um, if I have a physician. I said, no, I never had one, never needed one. So I just go to the urgent care. And so I called. I thought, well, Brownsville is nice and close and handy. I'll just walk in there. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call in there. And see if they got a, a, a lineup clear into town, I'm not going in there. I'll go somewhere else. And so I called and she said, well, we're not taking any walk-ins today. I said, really? So I said, fine. So I um, went down to... Junction City, which fitted better, a little better in my thought process plan, because I had to round up some parts anyway, down Eugene. So I thought, I'll just pull in now, I'll just come up 99, I'll just whip in there. And she, this uh, secretary lady, or whatever you call them ladies, that take her information lady, she uh, said, well, she said, we have quite a waiting list here. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And of course, I don't really take off my coveralls when I go into places like that. So I walked in there just the way I am. She said, well, is it an emergency? Or I said, no. I said, I just got this little issue I wanted to look at. And so she said, well, she said, uh, can you come back at 5 o'clock? I said, perfect. I'll be here at 5 o'clock. And so I went home, delivered my parts to these guys that were waiting for these parts. And, and I took off my coveralls and went down there. I got down there at 5 till. Five till, or about ten till five, and of course it was. And she said, "Well, here's the paperwork. Fill out all this paperwork." And so I did all that, and I said, "Well, I don't know what I'm signing here initially, and I didn't know what the procedure was." And so I just filled out the best of my knowledge, and and uh, she said, "Okay." She said, "Hand it in," and 
she goes, okay, the doctor will be out and see you in a little bit. So um, after a while, my name got called, and they ran me across the scale and did all that thing, all the stuff that I think is totally unnecessary. I just came to see what's the problem with my leg. And so this lady doctor, uh, had a lady doctor, and so I tried to, by that time, this thing, <laughs> this thing was swelled up quite large, and I couldn't get my pant leg out. And so I rooched it up, and, and she, <laughs> she took one look, and she says, man. And I'm like, well, maybe this thing, maybe I'm going to die. I mean, the way these people were acting. And so, <laughs> so she said, you got a problem. She said, what I'm really concerned about, if you have a blood clot. I'm like, what? Because my mother-in-law, she did not tell me that. And uh, my employer, he said, hey, he said, you take care of yourself. He said, you may have a clot in there. I'm like, ooh, um, this isn't sounding too good. So she said, I'll tell you what. This is what I'm going to do. She said, I will set you up. She said, I can't do it here, um, but I will set you up an appointment down in uh, Peace River or Peace uh, Wichmajigger Hospital down in Eugene, Springfield. And you go in there, and they're going to do an ultrasound at your, on your leg and uh, see if you have a blood clot. Can, and uh, she said, they'll call you about, nine, about noon or sometime after lunch tomorrow, which would be Thursday. I said, oh, that'll just work perfect. So sure enough, about 1 o'clock, they called, and... Uh, they wanted to see me about 5 o'clock, so I buzzed down there, walked in there. And, uh, of course, they want you to wear a mask and all these things. And they were really wanting to shut me down for, the, for life. And so I walked in there, and I had this young doctor. And he goes, well, he said, uh, we're going to do an ultrasound on both your legs. We're going to find out what's going on here. And, uh, of course, I was thinking clot. And all these things, and I've, you know, other people you're reading a budget how they, they had this clot and it killed them, and I'm like, ooh, this is, isn't looking too good for me. <laughs> so, so I go down there, and so he had this big old monitor, and he had this smear stuff he put all over my leg and was checking. It was just like, it was just like, whoa, this is getting a little bit deep for me. But anyway, so he um, proceeded to. Teach me how to check for varicose veins and how to check for clots. He had this big old monitor there, and he said, okay, it's all black and white, of course. And he was showing me, you know, these are the veins. It was kind of, you know, it's no wonder the Bible said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So he, he was showing my leg, and he said, this is what it looks like on the inside. Here's the veins, and he pushes on it and closes the veins and blah, blah, blah. And so it was very educational. And uh, so when he got to the sore spot, and I don't know why, but he thought it was more important to push harder at that spot. Oh, pal, sent me off the chair. But, man, it hurt. It's like, I said, man, it's tender there. So when he was all done, he said, it all looks good, but, and I'm like, okay, here we go. He said, you do have a clot. He said, but, he said, we're not too worried about the clot that we see in your leg where it's at. It's right on my um, leg at the sore spot. He said, that's all... Um, he gave it a medical term, but it's a clot like on the surface. He said, what we're really worried about is, the, is blood clots in your deep veins. I said, well, explain what deep veins mean. He said, well, the main ones. He said, your heel acts like a pump. I said, I get it. 
And uh, he said, when you walk, it pumps the blood back up out of the, the bottom of your foot and sends it. He said, what we don't want to happen is the clot, um, if you have it in your deep veins, he don't want it to, from there, it goes to your liver. And then he said, boy, so then you got problems. And then from there, to your heart, to your brain. And, you know, and then they give you a ground shovel for medication. So, <laughs> so it's all good. God has been good. And so um, they just said, go get some ibuprofen or whatever and take it, take two pills every six, every six hours. And so I haven't done quite that, but it's close. So that's in a nutshell. God has been good to me. He has given me 51 years of good life. And uh, I want to continue to bring him honor and glory for what I have left. And what I have left, I don't know. But I just want to serve God with every fabric I have until then, until he calls me home. And you probably heard that Pablo Yoder has passed away. They already buried him, but he has done much for the kingdom of God. And I would encourage every living soul in this audience to take note. And you can be the same. God may use you in a different capacity, but to, to, to build God's kingdom on this earth. And so um, about six, eight weeks ago, I was asked to preach here. And uh, I never did get past my pre-sermon. So... <laughs> So this, so I decided next time I'm gonna, I want to just share some things. So I was gonna scrap my pre-sermon, but I said, you know what? Um, as I was reading my in my personal devotions in the morning, I came across the I was just flipping through my Bible and I just opened it up to, it just came to here to Numbers 13, and I started just reading, in Numbers 13, and I don't know why. That's not we um, our family follows this little devotional book that I have, this verse book from from David Wilkerson, and, and I don't know why I did, but I just started reading this passage, and I saw something I never saw before. I said, this is too good to pass out. And so um, so I have a little pre-sermon talk for you this morning. And so turn to Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Another good thing that's happened to me that I think is good um, I ran out of contacts, and so I had to always wear these old man glasses. And they were kind of annoyance, and yet I liked them because I could see when I read close. And so to get more contacts, I have to go back to my eye doctor to get more contacts. And so he's, he's trying some trial and error so I don't have to wear these glasses anymore. He said, here, let's keep trying the first couple again. I said, that ain't going to work. So now I'm on a pair that I can actually see close up and at a distance. So we're all good. So I'm not going to read this whole chapter here, but we're going to just read down through here. We're going to skip, so you're going to have to follow along. <clears throat> Number 13. You ready? Here we go. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I, have, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall they send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by... The commandment of the Lord sent them from the wilderness of Panram. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. If you read down through there, there's one man per tribe. We're not going to bother going into that. And we're going to launch back in at verse 17. Okay, so this is all pre-sermon. This is just kind of off the hip here. But I just want to share my heart. I hope you can just grasp what I'm trying to say, which I think you'll do good. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. Okay, so did Moses enter the... Canaan land. Anybody? Did Moses enter the Canaan land? Okay, there's heads shaking. No. Okay. 
And Moses sent them. So I want you to try to picture yourself as Moses that knew good and well he would never enter the, train, the, the promised land. Okay? So now you're standing in Moses' shoes or in his sandals or whatever he's wearing at that point in time. And verse 17 says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is. So Moses is given specific instructions. He's telling these men to, to, to where to go. And he said, see what the land is that the people and the... So he's given them instruction. Now get this. The people that dwell therein. So I want to know what kind of people are dwelling therein or that, that are there. Whether they be strong, whether they um, are weak, and whether there's many. So he has a list of, I want to know what's going on here. I want you to spy this land out. And what the land is that they dwell in. And he wants to know... Is it good or is it bad? bad. So is the land um, uh, bountiful or is it desert? Or how, what does this land look like? Okay? And this is before the day of cell phones. Okay? Okay, now where, where are we at? Uh, verse 19. And what cities they be, and what cities they be that they dwell in? Whether they're tents or camps, or strongholds, and what the land is, whether it is fat or lean, whether there be wood therein, is there therein or not. And, be, and then he gives them this instruction. He says, And be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. And it was the time that, the, that it was the first ripe grapes. And so now they um, go up and they leave. And they go search out this land. Verse 21, let's go down to 23. And they came unto the brook of Eshkul and cut from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. So this is a huge cluster of grapes. And they brought of the pomegranates and the figs. And the place was called the brook, brook Eshkul. Or I'm not even pronouncing that right, but it's, it's the idea. Because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. So we're, they were up there searching this land for a month and 10 days. Okay? I was never away from home for a month and 10 days. But however, <clears throat> verse 26, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong. So they showed the good, and now they're going to, now they're going to produce, you know, at the end of the day, Moses wanted to know the good, and he wanted to know the bad. So now they're going to tell him, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled. And very great. And moreover, he saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the, land, in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. I like that. But the men who went up 
with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sights. Verse chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, and would God and or would God we have died in this wilderness? And therefore, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be a prey, would it not be better for us to return unto Egypt? Verse 4, and he said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Can you imagine? Okay, so now you have this Caleb, you have this Joshua, who are saying, let us go up, we can do it, God is with us. And you would have thought, you would have surely thought, that the children of Israel and this huge, massive congregation of people that have seen the ten miracles that God worked out before the children of Israel in the ten plagues would have said, you know, God is for us. And surely, you would have thought, surely they would have seen as the Egyptians were, were storming them at the sea and how God intervened for them and overtook them. That surely they would say, you know what? Those guys, those giants are as grasshoppers to us. And surely we can consume them. But I was like, when I was reading that earlier this, early this past week, I was saying, you know, from Moses' standpoint, I was trying to wrap my mind around how Moses was trying to get these men, bring me a picture of how, these, um, how this land is. I want to know. He was trying to wrap his mind around what this promised land that God has promised the, the Israelite people, what this land really looks like. Now, let's fast forward to Revelation. And I'm not going to read this. I've read this before. I love these two chapters. And I have read these chapters many times in my private devotions. And if chapter verses 21 and 22, here John the Revelator is giving us a picture of what heaven is like and what it's going to be like. And I'm just going to read a few little verses here. <clears throat> and verse 1 and 21, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new, and, the, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And John, John saw the holy, holy city Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, he's trying to give us these pictures of what this all is going to look like. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and they shall be his people. This is the promised land. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now get this, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all, their, all, away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death there, 
there's going to be no more sorrow, no more crying. There's going to be no more pain, no more varicose veins. And the former things are going to be passed away. And he sat upon the throne saying, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he's saying in verse 6, I am Alpha and Omega. And uh, there's not good. And he said, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sources, and the list goes on. They shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, for this is the second death. And verse 9 and the end of the verse says, Come up hither and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious. So John the Revelator here is trying to give us a picture what if this is going to look like. Heaven, God Almighty, no light, no night there, because God is going to surely be the light that's there. And it had a, and so then he goes on to say, it, uh, the, um, the stone most precious, even as jasper stone, clear as crystal, trying to, in our human minds, grasp what this is like. And it had a great high mountain, twelve gates. Um, for the twelve angels, writ, names written on on the east three gates, on the west three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on and on and on. And then he said, then the foundations, further down in the chapter, and the foundations of the wall of the city was garnished with all manner of precious stone. And then he lists all these stones, what this is going to be like. And verse 22 of chapter 21 says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, or the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor to it. And get this, verse 25, and get it good. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there is no night there. And the last verse of chapter 21 says, And there shall be in no wise any enter into anything that defileth. Can you imagine? Neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me in verse chapter 22, he showed me a, uh, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. And you can continue to read there. Just read it and try to wrap your mind as John the Revelator was writing this and trying to give us a picture of what the promised land looks like. You know, and as I looked at, as, at Moses, as he was trying to give a picture of what the uh, promised land looked like <clears throat> as they entered into Canaan. Now get this. <clears throat> you know, Moses had the same problem that we have today in our world. So Moses, the people, they didn't want to go into the promised land. It's like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You have all these things. We just got to get rid of the enemy. And we have all this promised land before you. We have all the good things that God wants for us, that we can enjoy, that we can have. And you know, there's not going to be no sin there in heaven. There's not going to be anything that defileth. And so Moses is saying, look, we have all these good things before us, and we can't get these people to herd them in there. 
There's like, we want to go back to Egypt. It is no different today when you try to share the gospel with hardened people. They don't want to go to the promised land. What's wrong with you? If you're not a Christian here today, become one today. Don't leave out those doors. It's all there for all the blessings that God has for you. And, you know, it's easier to just go back to Egypt. It's easier to pack up the pack mules and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron, they fell on their face before God Almighty. Like, what is wrong with these people? And, you know, I think of the same thing. You know, the world is in one chaotic mess. And yet they have all the glories of God and everything of heaven promised them. Plus, you can live a life here. It's not free of pain. It's not free of agony. It's not free of all things. Just because you're a Christian, you're going to have pain. You're going to have turmoil. You're going to have things upset your fruit basket, so to speak. But you know what? It is rather to be a Christian and endure for a season than to miss the mark. Amen? And I would really like for you to go there with me. To enter the promised land. Okay. (laughs) Got a half an hour left. We'll just quit with that. There's more than I could say, but I'm just going to quit. Okay. Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 11. I can see that we're going to have to shorten this up a little bit, but that's okay. Hebrews chapter 11, let's launch in here at chapter in verse 8. And so today we're going to talk about principles to strengthen my faith. Strength, principles to strengthen your faith. Principles to strengthen our faith. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should be after received, for the inheritance obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, drawing in the tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he looked for a city which had no foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang there even of one, and him as a good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Okay. So I wrote down, um, in chapter 11, it talks about, if we continue to read, it talks about the whole, um, the champions of faith that lived on, lived before us. And So I wrote down a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said this, a little faith, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And that's written by Charles Spurgeon. When Jesus says, saves, God enrolls us in the school of faith. This life is like a classroom to us. And you know we have one textbook. One textbook. Who do, what do you think our textbook is? Okay, now we're ready to dialogue. 
What, what, okay, so if life is our classroom, what is our textbook? What textbook are we going to use? The Bible, the Word of God. The Bible is our textbook. And so who are the teachers in our, who are the teachers? Who are the teachers in the Bible? Someone. This is going to be a school class. Jesus. Okay. Who else? Apostles. Who else? That's good. Prophets. Okay. We have Christ. We have the apostles. We have the prophets or our professors. Okay. Um, so then I got this pencil down. If I please God, and write this down. If I please God, it doesn't matter whom I please, right? If I please God, it does not matter whom I please. Okay? Now you with that? But if I displease God, it doesn't matter whom I please. You get that? I'll read it one more time. If I please God, I think I found this as a quote somewhere. If I please God, it doesn't matter whom I please. So if you're, so let me put this in everyday language. So if I'm pleasing God, you know, that's what ultimately really matters. If my life is pleasing God, that is ultimately is all matters. Okay? Are you with me? But if I displease God, you know, then it really don't matter who I please. Because you know what? Our focus is wrong. Our focus needs to be Christ and pleasing God and not man. And so we need to ask ourselves, does my life really please God? Does it ultimately um, bring God praise and glory? It is our chief duty to believe God. This is We're going to talk about faith here. Let's turn to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, I would like for you to follow along if possible. Because you know, a lot of things what I say today aren't really... Um, that important. But what is important is what this our textbook says. Okay, in John 6, let's go to verse 26, and, and this will confirm that our chief duty is to please God. Labor, uh, verse 26, And Jesus answered and said, Very, very, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the, of the loaves and were filled. Verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perishes, Perishes, which we talked a little bit about this morning, but for that which meat, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him God hath the Father sealed. Verse twenty-eight. Then then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And here's the answer that Jesus gave them: This is the work of God that ye believe on Him. Whom he has sent. You know, God wants you to believe on this, on his son that he sent here. And the things that Jesus said, he gets his authority from God the Father, just as we talked about earlier. And you know, what, what, is, the, what is the greatest sin? Anybody? What is one, I'll put it this way. What is one of the greatest sins or the greatest sin? Unbelief. Unbelief. Okay? So where do we... So, in this whole picture of unbelief, so where do you feel, where do you, what would you tell me where you would get the first practice of unbelief? Anyone? Bob. Of unbelief. 
Okay, so if I'm. <laughs> you cheat. <laughs> that is good. Okay, thank you. So the first act of unbelief that we have record of is Adam and Eve, just like our brother shared. Let's go to that. In Genesis 2. In verse 15, and you know, God, he made this beautiful earth, and he saw that everything was good, and he, and he did all these things. And, you know, I can imagine, I'm just trying to imagine how God felt. You know, he looks down, he's there, he's like, this is all good. And now, so then he, he gives some instructions to Adam and Eve. And the Lord God took the man. And put him in the garden of Eden to dress it. And that word dress means to cultivate and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So God has given him instructions. You know, this is all here for you. Okay? Verse 17, God gives him a specific instruction. He said, But... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And you know, I, I'm trying to identify with Adam and Eve. How, like, okay, what is he really saying here? I mean, okay, so he planted some uh, a respect. Of, uh, I'm going to call it a healthy, a healthy. Um, fear in their heart. Okay, I can have all this stuff, but there's one tree you cannot partake of it. Because in the day that you take this fruit, whatever it is, you're going to die. And it's like, Whoa, okay, I can have everything else but of this one. And we're all good with that. But now comes the serpent. And he starts planting doubt, and he's and um, in in Eve's heart, and he says, for in verse uh, chapter three, in verse uh, three, um, in verse one, he says, um, you know, he sa- and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And Eve's probably like, Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's what he said. That's what we were told to do. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, this thought process still goes on today. You know, it's like, okay, so we won't die physically, but we'll die spiritually. And so, and, and later, they will also die physically as well. But they died spiritually. And the woman saw that the fruit was good to, for food. 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. Like, whoa. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And verse 7, I just think it's one of the saddest saddest verses. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they saw they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And verse 8, And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Lord God amongst trees in the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you? And then they gave all these reasons why they were afraid to face God. And you know, um, they did not believe what God, the, the, the unbelief is a source of all other sins. And we just read how it escalated down. Okay, I got 15 minutes left. I got six points here. And we don't have time to look into all this, but I'm just going to give you the six points. <coughs> you know, back to our text in, in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, one of, the th- one of the first things that we see recorded here that God gave Abraham some instruction. And so one of the first things we, we must do, if we are going to strengthen our faith, we must hear God. What is God saying? It's that, you know, Abraham, he heard the voice of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then strength, so, sorry, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came unto, came unto Abraham. If you go to Genesis 12, 1 and 3, you know, God, as God talked to Abraham, Abraham heard the voice of God. Am I in tune with God? Can I hear the voice of God? And, you know, in, if we look into those verses, um, I'm just going to turn there for a lack of, um, there's something I want to touch on here. I think it's time for me to clean out my Bible. I just keep stuffing all these papers in here. Chapter, let's see here. This is in chapter 12. I might have jotted down here. Nope, chapter 12. God is talking to Abraham. And the Lord said, in chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into the land I will show you. And if you redo this, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make... Make thy name a great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And God also told him in verse 3, He said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and all thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Okay, so God is telling him, I will do all these things for you. Now, in chapter 11, if you back up one chapter, you will see, the Tower of Babel. And there, these people are going to build a... They, they, they have this thought process going on. It says, in verse 1 it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now, you might wonder why I'm going here. But just give me a, just give me a sec here. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found in the plain the land of Sinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to... Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they that they and they had brick for stone, 
and slime and had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us, and get this, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the full face of the earth. Okay? You see the difference? God says, I will. These guys are saying, let us. You see that difference? It's not so much about hearing what we have, our agenda. Um, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll, just write, I'll just tell you what I wrote down here. Many people today are trying to build their own empires. You know, they don't have the faith in God that God's going to see them through just like um, Abraham did. You know, they want to they want to they want to build their own great empires. You know, um, mankind has built. We talked about business this morning in our in our study and how that should look to, for the Christian, how the Christian should run his business. And uh, but many people, even in our conservative Anabaptist circles, we have these these monstrous businesses. And, you know, many too many times I'm just going to say it for what it is. Uh, too many times we turn right around and we worship our business, what we have accomplished in this earth. When ultimately, God gave us the wisdom, the understanding, and all the things that we do, he gave us the know-how to do this, right? Now, I'm going to push this chain a little bit further. Now, I'm getting on some thin ice here, but I'm just going to, because I think this is important. Okay, <clears throat> there are too many people, too many church too many church, for lack of a better term, too many church fellowships, too many church um, um, fellowships, conferences, whatever you want to call it, groups. And I'm not sure I'm going to say this all right, but this is getting a little sketchy, so you're going to have to just hear me out. When I say we're, 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 we're building our own empowers, it happens even in church circles where we build our own empowers. And too many churches, we we have we, we, we think we got all the logs chinked. Is that the right word? When you build a log cabin, you chink it. Or all the holes plugged. And we build this empower that we think there is no way this thing can fail. Because we have this thing set up. I'm here to tell you that, and, and then we bow down and we worship it. We say, oh, no, we wouldn't do that. But we do. We say, you know, we got this thing all conquered. We got this thing all masterminded. We got this thing, you know, this wagon is going to go straight down the road. And, you know, years later, the wheels start falling off. We start having all these problems. And so we think, what happened? It's because we are not hearing from God. We are putting our empower, whether it's business, whether it's church, whatever it may be, we are putting that ahead of God. And we have to keep in mind that Christ built his church, and the Bible says what? Say that a little louder. You got it. Did you get that? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, that is what I want to be a part of. A church body, a church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, that is Christ's church. And I will, as a personal testimony, in this congregation, I... I remember many years ago, you know, if God wants a church here, he's going to preserve it. It is Christ's church. It is not my church. It is not the pastor's church. It is God's church. It is the, it's, if it's Christ's church, it will be able to weather the storms. And we have weathered many a storm. So church, let's not lose sight of the main goal. We'll talk about that a little later. Whoa, we only have a few minutes left. 
Okay, we'll get off that hobby horse. It is honoring to God when we believe Him and we live in confidence. Number two, obey what you know. Abraham obeyed what he knew. Abraham obeyed what was in front of him. Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. He was just told to go. So he just obeyed what God told him to do. We don't have to be, we don't have to totally understand, but be ready to obey. There's many times in life things come along that we don't quite have all the P's and the Q's. We don't have all the ins and outs of all the But you know, let's just be obedient to what we know. So I wrote down here, God will give me more light as I walk in the light. So why would God give me more light if I'm not willing to walk in the light that I already have? Okay. That's enough on that. Okay. So now, first, the third thing, write this down, establish priorities. Or, you know, are you willing to establish priorities in, in, in things that will strengthen your faith? Okay. Verse 9 and 10. By faith, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10, says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in ta- tabernacles, which has the idea of tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10 says, For he looked for a city whose foundations... Whose builder and maker is who? God. And you know, that's how we have to still look at life today. You know, who's the builder? Who's the maker? Abraham was a stranger away from home. He was a pilgrim headed home. Are you a pilgrim this morning headed home? Are you a pilgrim who is saying, you know, this world is not my home? You know, I just... <laughs> I would just had this kind of wild imagination. You know, maybe Abraham and Sarah in their tent, they had this big old, um, who's that guy does artwork in Ohio, whatever his name is, had one of them plaques on the, on the wall and said this. I wrote this, I wrote this down. Um, his motto was in this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So maybe that was their morning song. And he sang this song with gusto. This world is not my home. I'm just the passing through. Too many times we don't have the faith because our priorities are wrong. What are your priorities this morning? What are your priorities in life? How does this stack up to what what I just got done saying? This world is not my home. I'm passing through. Faith is, now get this, faith is not some way to get, this is just a reversion of, uh, a different version of another way this has been said. Faith is not some way to get our will done in heaven when faith is actually God's way to get heaven's will done on earth. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it will tell you that. And I think it's interesting. I just saw that this morning. I thought, hmm, that's a whole brand new thought to me. It's just like, and how many times we have heard the Lord's Prayer prayed, and it really stood out to me this morning as I was looking at this. And... uh, Let me see if I can find it here. Okay, so verse 9, of chapter 6 of Matthew, it says, And after this manner, therefore pray ye. These are the words of Jesus. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he's trying to give God honor, God glory, and he's telling us to hallow his name. So verse 10, what is the next thing he's saying? He said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Exactly. So it's God's way of getting His, his, his uh, work done here on this earth. Our citizenship is not here. It is, 
It is in heaven. Our attachment is not to this world. If I live for this world, I wouldn't have faith. The Bible says a friend of this world is an enemy with God. Taken out of James. We need, in John, 1 John it says, we need to have the mind of Christ to know the will of God. If you want to know what the will of God for your life is, you have to have the mind of Christ. We are to be, we are to be, <clears throat> sorry. Who are we being conformed to? Or am I being, is my, my thought process, the things, the way I think, who is conforming me? Let's ask that question. Who is conforming me? Is it Christ or is it the world? Who is conforming me? Abraham, he had a, he had a pilgrim and stranger concept character. He was not, he was not molded by what the world was doing. He was not concerned about, you know, he just, he just had this thought. Like in Matthew 6.33 it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness shall, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. <clears throat> okay. The fourth thing. Keep your faith focused. We talked about that a little bit. Let's not lose the focus and to get earthly minded. Or where is your value system? Abraham was a man who had a vision. His vision enabled him to see the invisible. You know, you find a you find a man of God that has a vision. You know, he may not see it come to pass, but he has a vision for the things of God, and it, it's amazing how much it changes them. Faith is seeing the invisible. <clears throat> Taken out of. Second Corinthians 4.18. Faith is, a, is setting our affection on something that is bigger than most of us are living. You know, uh, on the way to church, we were listening to a, uh, a message this morning, um, our daily Sunday morning message, and I was just amazed how like uh, he, this pastor, he was talking about George Mueller. And, and, and you know, there was a fog, and, the, and he was on this boat. He was on this, I was going to call it a wagon, but he was actually on a boat. And you know the fog settled in, and he wondered why this why this boat wasn't moving. And the and the and the and the, the master of the boat said, "Well, we can't move until this fog lifts." He says, "Well, I got to be at a certain preaching schedule. We got to get we got to get this train moving." He said, well, "We're not moving until the fog lifts." Well, then let's go pray. So they went down in the in the bottom of the ship, and they're going to have this prayer meeting. So this captain went down there with him. He was going to make make uh, make score to him. And George Mueller, he just prayed this very simple faith. God, I gotta be at gotta have this preaching engagement. I gotta be there at such and such time. Please lift the fog so we can go. And and uh, the the master of the ship, he was gonna pray too. And he said, No, just stop. He said, We don't need your prayer. And he said, He said, Why not? He said, Because two things. Uh, first of all, you don't believe it. And number two, God already lifted the fog. Let's go up and look. And the fog was gone, and so they got on the ship and left. Very simple kindergarten stuff. Sometimes we think we have to have these wordy, flabbers prayers. And sometimes God just wants a simple prayer. God, move, do, whatever. And guys are like, you know, I, I, can, I can live with that. You know, just a simple, everyday, childish prayer is all we really need. <clears throat> and it's not saying that sometimes our long-winded prayers and saying it just right. You know, God understands um, all these types of things. Here's another quote I found. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Having faith does not mean we are without problems and heartaches and tears. The, the, the sixth thing. Enjoy the blessings. I skipped one. We'll come back to that one. Enjoy the blessings God has given you. Let's go back one. The fifth one. Sorry, I forgot that one. Guard your heart. 
guard your heart. If you're going to have a faith that's going to be strengthened, the devil will war against your faith. God will test your faith. And then a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Now, we're just going to take a little break here. So you think about Job. He was a Jew man. He was pious. He was a very prosperous man. And, you know, he took away what? He took away his family. He took away his livestock. He took away his, his livelihood. He took away everything. And Satan, he was just like kept grinding down and just winding down on him. You know what? He is going to he is going to curse you. And now it is getting so bad that his wife says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" Ladies, is here this morning. God help us. You be ladies that stand beside your man and support him when he's going through the fire. Don't, Jeremy. How would you feel? Stephanie said, you know what, you're going through tough times. Just curse God and die. How would that make you feel? <laughs> exactly right. I would have I have faith in you, Stephanie. You would never do that. But that's just put yourself in those shoes. And yet, Job, he did not. He recognized that God is God and God is sovereign. And you know, Job, he came out the other end and God blessed him with much more than he had originally. Okay, the sixth thing. Enjoy the blessings. That's the sixth one. God made Abraham's name great. He was a blessing to the world. And how was he a blessing to the whole world? And still is. Anybody? Through Christ. Through Christ. And I have that written down. Abraham came from a Jewish nation. His prophets from the lineage of Abraham to came from came Jesus. In conclusion, I want to just give you this thought. Let's continue to grow in faith by God's grace. And my last closing comment here is, there's no way that we can live in victory apart from faith. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. And Lord, I just pray that we were encouraged by the life of Abraham and the life that he lived. And Lord, it's been many, many years since Abraham passed off the face of this earth. But his legacy still lives because his faith in you. And I pray this morning, as the world watches us live our lives and see our faith, do we really believe what we live? As was talked about earlier today. And that our faith in you would not waver. And when it does, we would just honker down on the rock of Jesus Christ and just simply believe what you said. Because someday, Lord, the trumpet is going to blow, and you will split the eastern sky. And oh, the saints of God can arise and go home and be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us this morning and being here. We love you, Lord. Amen.